Well, this morning we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, and as we look in the Gospel of Luke, it's all about knowing the truth, and particularly it's knowing the truth about Jesus. But this morning, I'm going to do some uh, extended introduction, and then uh, we're going to be looking at not just what Luke records about the next event in the life of Jesus, but really we're going to take a composite of Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, and uh, see this simple event but powerful event uh, in, um, I guess, uh, multicolored ways as we see the authors of Scripture portray what happened. This morning we're going to talk about a familiar and probably a, a essential, uh, we're going to see that in a moment, part of the Christian experience, and that is the whole idea of, of, of faith. That we are, we are called uh, to believe. Now, as we think about that, even announcing, we're going to talk this morning about the truth about faith. You might be thinking, uh, heard that, been there, done that. Uh, I can t- kind of relax and not uh, really listen that intently. And that might be the case, but hopefully you'll see that that's not and should not be the case. Because no matter how much we've heard about faith and how many times we look back and can say, well, I could tell you, share with you about how I live by faith, you might be encountering in the near future the next step of faith and you're not quite ready for it. And if you don't take my word for it, you might take the word or the experience of the disciples who had that experience. They had been with Jesus, they had exercised great faith and to the point they had done great things for God, but now they were encountering something slightly different than what they had encountered before and they failed miserably. When you think about faith, uh, and it is a familiar subject, and, and as we think about that, again, there might be an indifference to it. It reminds me of one of my favorite stories about this teacher who went to this class, and I don't know if he was a substitute teacher or whatever, but he had heard about this class that was kind of infamous, not famous, and, and uh, a class that didn't seem to want to learn. And so he wrote up on the blackboard these letters, A-P-A-T-H-Y. Now, if you can't visualize what I just pretended to write on the back of a blackboard. It's the word apathy. And as the students watched him write that on the board, one of the students said to another student, "Um, you know what that means? And the other student says, I don't know and I don't care. (laughs) And sometimes that's our experience as we come into a place like this. Maybe for whatever reason we're distracted, we're overly tired, we're we're not necessarily interested in the subject that's being announced, but, but I want you to know that we should know and we should care about what, it, what faith really is. And faith in, in Scripture is both a, and in our own life, is both a noun and a verb. It's a noun in the sense that it describes what you believe. Some people say, what, what, it, what, uh, what is your faith? And if you would announce what it is and in the Christian world, you might say by way of denomination, so that's not a really great way to describe your faith. In fact, it's not a good way to describe it at all. But you, in terms of world religions, you say my faith is Christian, or it's, it's, uh, it's Muslim, or it's Hindu, or it's Buddhism, or it's Jew- the Jewish faith. It's, so it's used as a noun, but describing what you believe. Now, it's used as a verb describing the act of believing. And that has a sliding scale. Well, how much do you believe in what you say you have faith in? And we'll be looking at that this morning. But what I want to do this morning is I want to answer basically three questions about faith. Uh, Just uh, first question is, why is it important? Why is faith important? So if we're apathetic, I don't know and I don't care, I'm going to try to say, well, why is it so important? Why is it so crucial? Then I want to look at a fundamental question. Well, what is it? I mean, sometimes... Have you ever been in a, a um, conversation with someone and, 
they're speaking and you're speaking and you think you're all on the same um, plane and then you realize that the definition for their terms is much different than the definition of how you would define the words they're using. Shake your head like you've been there, right? You go, man, I thought we were talking about this, but they're way over here and I'm way over here. We're not even talking the same language even though we're using the same language. So we're going to talk, what is faith? And then we'll look at the story from the expanded section as well. When, when is faith so crucial to exercise? And basically that's what faith is. It's something you exercise. It's like a muscle. You, you need to exercise it or it's, it's going to grow uh, weaker rather than stronger. Well, let's look at, first of all, why is faith so important? And this is this fundamental. It's not going to be surprising to many of you. But just to begin at the beginning, which is always a good place to begin, all right? Uh, you know, what is so important about faith? It's essential. It's essential in being saved. Uh, and saved sounds like a religious word, though we use it unless you're, you know, if you're out in the ocean and you're drowning, I need to be saved. But it is essentially a, a, a biblical term. It's, it's being rescued from your sin. And this is a familiar passage. For by grace, you, by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. So our part in the whole experience of knowing God, God's grace, God's enabling power, God's gift is the offer of forgiveness in Christ. Our part of it is believing in it. By faith, responding to it. By faith, appropriating it. It's, it's trusting that actually what happened 2,000 year ago, years ago when Christ died on the cross and rose again was sufficient for the forgiveness of our sin. For by grace you've been saved. You, by, uh, by, for by grace... I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to talk faster than my mouth wants to work today. All right? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not as a result of works that no one should boast. John 1.12 says basically the same thing. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. So it's essential in being saved. Secondly, it is essential in living spiritually. And I threw this in because... The Bible talks about two types of people. There's the natural man, and then there's the, the spiritual man. Now, the, what is the natural man? The natural man is a person who's only living the opposite of spiritual. It would be physical, only physical, physically. But the Bible says if you're going to live spiritually, it has to be done by faith. Galatians 2.20 would be a good example of that. I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. And you can kind of see that here. We're looking at just fundamental things here. Is As you look at me, you can say, you know, Mike, you know, he looks rather normal. There's, well, maybe not that normal. But you say, I, you know, I look rather like anybody else does. Okay, I'm up here physically. And as far as I know, I'm clothed in mostly my right mind. Okay? And so you say, what's, what's so different about you know, Mike, than anybody else, the seven, over 7 billion people in the world. Well, you can't look at me and necessarily see that just as I'm, a, you know, talking with you this morning or preaching at you. Uh, and you say, well, where, where is the spiritual part of him? Well, you could break open my chest and look for that. It, it says in this passage that Christ lives in me. Can you see that? You can, you can, you can talk in church when I ask you a question, okay? Can you see that? No, you can't see that. But by faith, you believe it's true because I have made a public statement that I believe in Jesus. And so 
to live spiritually, which is more than just physically, then you have to believe that Jesus does what he says he does. That means when you invite him in, he comes in and he lives within you, correct? So either we're believing that or not believing that. But to live it, you have to believe it. Just like to believe it to be saved and to live out your life spiritually. Then thirdly, it's essential in obeying Scripture. The Bible says what faith is. You know, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Hebrews 11.1. But Hebrews 11.6 says this, And without faith it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. Now the passage I didn't put in here I actually um, is Hebrews 11.8. Because this is what Hebrews 11.8 is. You're turning the page. I'm, I'm not finished with this page yet, so don't be turning the page. No, just kidding. Um, in Hebrews 11.8, it says this. When he was called, Abraham believed God and obeyed God. And he obeyed God by going to a place he knew not of, did not where he was going, so he might receive the inheritance that God had promised him. But what it does there, it connects faith with obedience. And see, this is, this is how we live out the Christian life, because we live out the Christian life by obeying what God has said. Probably all of us at times have thought, I wish I was one of those people in the Old Testament or New Testament where God sp- spoke audibly to I've come now to the place where I'm, I'm, I am more comfortable reading what God has told me than being in an experience where he, were, he was telling me audibly. Because the older I get, I have discovered that I forget things people tell me. Anybody want to say amen to that? Okay. okay. Now, what was, that? what was that I was supposed to pick up at the grocery store, Alice? I, I, I can't remember what it was, okay? And, and if, if I don't write it down, I probably won't bring back what she asked me to get. And quite frankly, if God only audibly told me what to do, I'd probably miss a lot of things, right? So we are more blessed than they are because it's, got, it's written down. We know what God wants us to do. Now you say, well, what does that got to do with faith? Let's just be honest. How many of you like people telling you what to do? Some of you might in certain situations, but most of the time you'd rather tell people what to do rather than people telling you what to do. So, but no matter where you are on that, that totem pole about, you know, do you like people telling you what to do? If you're in the military, they always tell you what to do, right? Unless you're the top of the rung. There's only a few people top of the rung. But, but, but they make you do it. But if it's a voluntary basis, you know, why do you do what people tell you to do? Because at that moment, you believe that they know what they're talking about. That you believe they, they know better than you do about what you ought to be doing. Uh, just a simple example, we, we, uh, a group of us went and helped the, the city set up for their Founders Day. And so we were there, and they were having us move trash cans, move tables, set up banners, whatever it might be, telling us where to put them, and they give us maps and all kinds of things like that. And, and I, I know one of the city officials, her name is Gracie Duran, and she's, uh, we've been involved in a lot of different things. And, the, you know, throughout the day, she's telling me, go here, do this, you know, put it there. And, and you know, finally I said to her, yeah, you know, Gracie, you seem to be enjoying telling me what to do. <laughs> now, why did I voluntarily do whatever she asked me to do? Because she knew where we're supposed to be better than I knew where we're supposed to be. And I trusted her. That, you, you understand that? Now, if I didn't believe she knew better than I did, I wouldn't do it. But I knew she knew what she was talking about. And I just voluntarily chose to do it because I believed in her instructions. 
And whenever we don't do what God has said at that moment, we're not doing it because we don't really believe it, right? We believe that we're gooder than God is. We, we, that's not good grammar, but it is our theology at that point. I believe I know what's best for me at that moment. So whenever we obey Scripture, we're believing He is good. He knows what He's talking about. So why is faith so important? It's, it's essential to being saved, to living spiritually, and, and to obeying Scripture. Okay, what is it? Now, now you can turn over. If you haven't turned over, let me, let me give you my best attempt at describing what faith is. Because sometimes we talk about faith, but what do we really mean by that? Okay, well, it's, it's really a step of all of who you are. Faith requires a response from the mind, the heart, and the will. You must believe in someone or something intellectually, emotionally, and willfully. Let me just stop there for a moment. Many people will have two-thirds of this, but not the whole part of it, okay? If you believe in something, intellectually, you've got to believe that it is true. you gotta, you got to... There's something evidentially or, or, or with reason or rationale or observing whatever it might be. And you said, this is, this is reality. When you look up at all that's made in this world, you can choose to believe it happened by chance or it happened by what? By some creator being, by design. And if you look around, there's many reasons to believe in a a creator designer because the things in the world has a design to them and everything has a beginning nothing times nothing equals what nothing so i I believe there is a creator god the same thing about jesus why do i believe that jesus truly is who he claimed to be well there's there's reasons why i believe secondly emotionally Uh, some people believe it intellectually but you know i i don't i don't know if i want to give my life to someone to tell me what to do because I never want anybody telling me what to do. Even if I'm convinced they know them more than me. Have you ever talked to someone who knew somebody else knew more than them and they still didn't do what they, that other person who knew more than they knew? Yeah, they're just stubborn. I don't want to do that. And so their heart's not into it. Even though they know that person knows what they're talking about. So emotionally, you got to give your whole heart to it. And then willfully, I know people who, who believe it's, it's true intellectually and they their heart is saying that i know that's good for me but willfully they won't make the step they won't make the step i i i've told a number of you i've talked to people that were friends of mine family of mine and i said i said if i can convince you and that that jesus is who he claimed to be and he had what was best for you in your life would you then commit your life to him and they say no Wait a minute. I know you don't think I can, but just say if I could. It's true, and it's good for you. Will you do it? And I'll say, why wouldn't you? Because I don't want anybody telling me what to do. I want to live my own life. So it's an intellectual, it's an emotional, and it's a willful decision. Now, sometimes we can understand things by synonyms. You know, what's what's a synonym for faith? The, the verb part of it. Faith is choosing to trust in, rely on, you can put depend on if you want, have confidence in and live out what you are convinced is true. So when I'm living by faith, at any point I, I am trusting in someone or something, because you can use faith in other places. When I go to a restaurant and order something off the, the menu, I don't, I don't know who's back there cooking that meal. 
I don't know what they're putting in that meal. I'm hoping it is what's described on the menu. But I'm trusting in and have confidence in that what they give me is pretty close to what I've ordered. And, and they haven't put anything in there that's going to cause me to die. And I what? I eat it. I live it out. Now, if I didn't believe that when they brought the food to me, I wouldn't eat it. So it's trusting in, relying on, depending on, having confidence, and then living it out. It's doing what you say you believe. I believe that restaurant will give me something that I can eat that's edible, that I'll enjoy, and, and um, I won't die because I ate it. But here's the point I want to make as far as how we operate our faith. Because have you ever been disappointed in believing something really strongly as, as much as you, as you could? You believed it totally strongly and then got disappointed? You're using the same analogy. Have you ever gone to a restaurant, expected a good meal, and got a bad meal? I have. Okay. I, I really believe. Maybe it was because of past experiences, and then all of a sudden it went again, and something happened. Man, this didn't taste as good as it did the time before, and I really believed it was going to be. So faith is only as good as the object of your faith. But on the other hand, let's, let's bring it now back to where we're at today. Have you, have you ever believed strongly that God was going to do something, and he what? Didn't do it? I have. I mean, I just, I was just convinced that, that what I was praying about was going to happen, and it didn't happen. How can I explain that? As best I knew, I was believing intellectually, emotionally, and willfully, and it didn't happen. I was doing whatever my part is to help make it happen. If God wanted me to use it as a vessel, so it wasn't I was on the sidelines. Sometimes you have to pray on the sidelines, but sometimes you can be involved in your prayers, and it didn't happen. Well, this is, this is critically important as I wrestle with faith. What God has promised us, we believe He will do. What God has not promised us, we believe He can do. If God does not rescue us or our loved ones in this life, our confidence, however, is still in Him. Now, let me, let me just put it this way, and then we're going to get down to the, the, port that's in the, the part that's in the, the gospel accounts for this experience that we're looking at about faith, is when, when, we, when we pray for someone to be healed, they're, they're going through cancer, they're going through something else, and you could put any, you could fill in the blank with any financial problems, a need for a job, um, relational conflict, whatever it might be, and you're praying that those things change. And they don't, you begin to wonder, well, you know, does God really come through? What's, what's wrong with God? You know, did I not have enough emotional faith or whatever it might be? And, and, and then you, have to deal, you need to take a step back. Did God promise he's going to heal everybody? Did God promise he's going to give a job to everybody? Does God promise he's going to mend every relationship that happens in this broken world? And the answer to that is no. Does that mean we don't pray about it? No, we pray about it. But whether God gives a yes to that answer has nothing to do about God being faithful or us having enough faith. It is according to his will in a fallen world. But let's take the other part of that equation. Let, let's say you're going through cancer or a loved one is going through cancer. But let's just put it in your own personal level and say, God, I, I, I want healing. But if you, I don't receive healing, I want to receive what you have promised. And what he has promised is he will give you peace. The Bible says, be anxious for nothing. Anybody have a worry list? Okay. When you have a worry list, what God says, be anxious for nothing. Be worried about nothing. Be, be concerned 
But don't, wherever that line is where you, you go from concern to worry or anxiety, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God. What surpasses all comprehension shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God has promised in everything we go through, he can give us peace. What if you're going through a trial and you feel you just can't endure it? Paul was in prison. He said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And even when I'm going through an experience I'd rather not go through, God, you can give me strength to go through it. And so all the promises in the Scripture that are related to you and to me, we can claim by faith, and God will always give us what He promises if we'll trust Him. Pray about everything, but recognize the difference between what God says He will do and what He can do. We had a living example of that this, this, uh, in the first service. Some of you are very familiar with Janet Audie. Janet Audie went th- through a year, basically, of... Uh, trying to deal with the cancer in her life, and it looked like full remission. Then months later, she had to go through the whole thing again, intensified, to the point of having stem cell treatments, and, and uh, you know our, our people who knew her well, and just began praying for her again. Now, did we know that God was going to answer that prayer of, of her being healed and coming back, as far as we know, to full health? No, we didn't. We prayed as much faith as we could, and God answered that. But I can give you a list of people we've prayed for that had cancer, and God chose not to heal them. You understand the difference there? We pray for God's merciful, gracious hand to touch people's lives, but He hasn't promised that for everyone. And so we pray believing He can, but we don't know if He will. And throughout Scripture, we see that example. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go back to, to children's stories, which are great for adults, is that when they were going to be thrown in the fiery furnace, you know, they were asked, do you believe your God can preserve you through that? Uh, and the answer basically was yes, but we don't know if he what? He will. When David played, prayed earnestly for his child not to die fervently, couldn't even touch a, a, a morsel of food during that prayer vigil and just intense prayer, and God said no. But he prayed. I said, he said, God could have relented and, and give, given extended grace to rescue that child, but he didn't, but I'll still trust him. So why is faith so important? It's essential for salvation, for living spiritually, and to obeying Scripture. What is it? It's trusting and relying on, having confidence in, living out what you believe, but knowing the distinction between what God will do and what God can do. Well, where does it need to be exercised? And here's what I want to do. I want to read the expanded scripture, make just some simple points, and then we'll, we'll close. So this is out of all three Gospels. It's a harmony of the Gospels, and it just kind of fills out what Luke says. Now, it happened on the next day. Now, if you were the, with us last week, you know what the next day was, or what happened the day before the next day. That was the, the chosen three going up to you know, the mount and having this unbelievable experience with Jesus where they saw him uh, not as the normal, but as saw him in his glory. And they were just, they were just amazed at the, the glory of Jesus manifested in front of him. And I won't re-preach that sermon. And it happened on the next day when they came down from the mountain that he, Jesus, came to the disciples. 
We talked a little bit about in your small groups this last week. Well, how would you have been if you were not one of the, the top, not, I mean, top three and you were the nine left behind? Now, some people, we, we had great discussions in some of the groups I had and all kinds of great answers, and there's no right answer because the Bible doesn't tell us why but, um, or how they, they felt. But I can tell you how I would have felt. I would have felt jealous. I'm not that spiritual. I go, how come I didn't get in the top three? I want to be there with Jesus up there in the mountain. But you ever wonder, what were they doing when they were up there? Well, they weren't just sitting on their hands. They were actually doing ministry. And he came to the disciples, and he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when they saw him, Jesus, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? So this is a great argument. And they thought, well, Jesus will solve the argument. So they run to him, and, and they got this thing going. And uh, Jesus asked the question. He always knew what the answer was, but he asked the question, what are you discussing? Then suddenly a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, have mercy on my son, who has a mute spirit, for he's my only child. So, so you see this, this father, and all of a sudden he kind of breaks into the whole subject and said, Will you please help me with that? With everything I have, I'm begging you got to help me. I have only one child, and everything's going wrong. He's suffering severely. And behold, a spirit seizes him, and he suddenly cries out and throws him down and convulses him. So he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. And it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I brought him to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not cure him. Now that's an interesting experience. Jesus, and this is one of those places where Jesus had told them what they could do. He had revealed to them, you can cast out all demons and heal all diseases. And they had done that. Now comes this child, and it's not working. Their, their faith doesn't seem to be functioning. What happened, God? They could not cast him out, but they could not cure him. And then Jesus responds rather harshly. And, and sometimes, if you think Jesus always meek and mild, you haven't read the New Testament carefully. Can you imagine that? I mean, they were trying their best to help this child. And then Jesus says this, not only to the disciples, but to the whole crowd there. Oh, faithless and perverse generation. That perverse idea that you're just like crooked people. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring your son here, here to me. So he childs, chides them, rebukes them because they had no faith that they, that they could do what God had promised them they could do, which is to cast out this demon. Then they brought him to him, which is the boy, to Jesus. And when he, when he the, the boy, saw him, but actually the demon within him saw him, as he was still coming, the demon immediately threw him down and convulsed him. So the demonic force in there, he didn't always throw this child into fit, but he, he often did it. And when he saw Jesus, he thought power was going to try to confront power. Okay, But one power had the lowercase p, and the other one had the capital letter p. And so they were going up against a power that they knew not of in terms of experience. And, and, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So this is a rather dramatic experience. This father's watching this child again be tortured in front of him. So he, Jesus, asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? You think, well, maybe this was just like a recent experience. Now, the answer is, and he said, from childhood. 
And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. Now, whatever you're going through and whatever you know somebody else is going through, I don't know, this is one of the ones I wouldn't want to experience, right? I mean, as a father, you're just having so much pain for the child, and the child has experienced this all of his life, basically. But then he says this. This is the father to Jesus. But if you can do anything, have compassion on him and help us. Now, here is a father that had faith in the disciples, but that faith in the disciples didn't work out too well for him, right? I'm sure he had a lot of confidence because he'd heard all the other demons. That whatever, whatever demons against the disciples, it was the, demon, the disciples were, were batting a thousand. They'd won every single time. So he has great confidence the disciples are going to help him, but they don't. And so now his faith's now doubting Jesus. Have you ever had that happen where you had, you, you had pretty strong faith and then people in the church or people you looked up to, they didn't do too well? And all of a sudden your faith begins to waver because if it doesn't work for them, how can it work for, for me? If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, he turned it back on him. All things are possible to him who believes. Now, let, let's be honest, and I'm running out of time, but... You need to understand that Jesus didn't always do miracles based on people's faith. Isn't that right? Prime example, Jesus rose people from the dead, right? That's the record. How much faith did the people who were already dead have in Jesus? Zero. Absolutely nothing. Okay? But in this case, he's going to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to measure what I'm going to do based on whether you really believe. And immediately the father and child cried out and said with tears, this is not in the Luke count, but this is the other counts. He said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Some of you have read that story before, right? So if you use a different word than unbelief, this father's faith had some, letter D, had doubts, right? He was pretty honest. I, I believe, but man, I'm struggling here. I believe, but it's not a perfect faith. I have some doubts. And sometimes when we look at this, and a lot of people who are faith healers, they use this in a, in a way that's not healthy. They're saying, well, the reason the miracle didn't happen that I was trying to show you I could do is because you didn't have enough faith, which is always their cop-out, because if something doesn't happen, it's not my problem, it's your problem. So Jesus says this, uh, when, when Jesus saw that, well, did this, and then he comments on it. He says, when Jesus saw that the people were running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, dumb and deaf spirit. Now, it doesn't mean the spirit was dumb and deaf. That means that the spirit gave dumbness and deafness to the child. The di- child could not speak and, and could not hear. Come out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And he became as one dead, so that many said he is dead. They thought Jesus had failed, but he obviously hadn't. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose, and he gave him back to his father. And the child was cured from that very hour, and they were all amazed at the majesty of God. Now, as you're looking at this, the nine that were watching this, the other three were just kind of probably overwhelmed by what was happening. They are confused. And have you ever been confused in your relationship with God? God, why is this happening? Or why is this not happening? And when he, Jesus, came to the house, the disciples asked the question, which they were all thinking about, why could we not cast it out? And we need, inherent in that question is that they thought they could, right? They, they had initially pretty good confidence when it came into this 
this demon because they had been victorious every single time. And so Jesus said to him, because your unbelief, for unsuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer. And in some manuscripts it says, and fasting, though, it's probably not in the original. This can't this not come out except by prayer. Now, do you think the disciples had prayed about this while they were doing it? I think they did. But, you know, sometimes when we say we're, we're praying, we're not actually praying. Can I confess to you a pastor's sin? You know, if, if I don't preach very well during the message and I'm having a closing prayer and I didn't think you got it when I was preaching, then my prayer will go a little bit longer and I'll try to re-preach my prayer, my, my message, which means I wasn't really praying in my prayer. I was preaching in my prayer, right? <laughs> They, they were mouthing words to God, but they weren't praying. They, they were kind of, they were, they were putting their confidence not really in Jesus. They were putting their confidence in themselves. Look at, look what we've done in the past. We can do it again. And see, when we do that, even when God empowers us, gifts us, whatever it might be, if somehow we exercise that without dependence and reliance upon Him, having our confidence in Him and not ourselves, that it doesn't matter how much, confidence we have it's not going to work because it's Jesus who does it not us so so what do I what do, what simple points I want to make at the end and and then close when can you exercise faith you can trust Jesus in hopeless situations this uh, this father I'm sure had tried every which way to help his son nothing had worked but he kept pursuing someone he could trust in that could, that could set his child free. Secondly, you can trust in Jesus when others fail you. I mean, we, we have public Christians who have done, who've experienced all kinds of moral failings, who have disciplined, disappointed the Christian world, who, who have had the name of Christ ridiculed in the press because they failed. But see, we don't put our faith in men. We put it in Jesus, don't we? So they failed, but Jesus didn't. And then thirdly, you, you can trust Jesus in your weakness. I, I believe, help me in my unbelief. You know, Jesus, he, he kind of put lowered the bar there. He said, you can do amazing things. And I think it was hyperbole. We never had an experience where God actually moved a mountain. Could God move a mountain? Of course he could. But he said, look, let me just tell you something you think is totally impossible. If God really wanted a mountain moved and you believed it, and that's where, that's where God gets moved. It's not only our faith, but it's his will. It was God's will to move a mountain, and God's will was to um, have something happen. And we trust him, it happens. I mean, I guess you want an example in the Old Testament. You could say when God parted the Red Sea. As far as we know, that's the only time God parted you know, a sea like that. He, he can do it just like that. But how much faith do you have for that to happen? You just have to have faith like a mustard seed. That's not a very big little seed. It's really, really small. But it's enough where you're saying, look, I'm believing it's true. It's reality that you can do this. Uh, my heart is completely committed to what you're doing. I'm willfully trusting you to make this happen. Now, when it's according to God's will, it will happen. If it's just something he hasn't promised, it can happen. Now, the difference is where we live is God will always give you peace 
God's presence will always be with you. Have you ever thought, where's God? You know, I, I feel all alone in this. Well, that's where by faith we believe, even though I feel all alone, God is with me because he's promised it. I will never leave you or, or forsake you. When you're filled with fear and say, I just can't, I can't make the next step, he said, hey, be courageous and trust in me and I'll, I will, you know, don't even tremble and I'll be with you. And so all the promises of God's word for you is, is for you to grab hold of, but to live by faith. But I want you to understand, it's not only to be able to endure what you're going through, but also to do and be what God wants you to do and be. For some, like in the first service, it's to make that step of faith and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. For us, it's to be involved in helping other people know Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe this week, living by faith is you'll go across the street and talk to a neighbor, even though you're fearful, and God says, I'll give you the power to talk to them about your faith, share your testimony, and explain the, the message of Christ to them. Or maybe it's to serve God in a way where God says, you know, you can do this. Just do it by faith because I'll empower you to use your gifts for me. That's, God has promised that. So the question we're left with this morning is, um, are we living by faith? And there are times where we back away and we, we don't live by faith. We live only by our feelings. But God wants us to just enjoy the experience of, of trusting because he's good and he's sufficient for all that he wants us to do and to be as well as to go through. Let's pray together. Father, well, I just really pray as we close our time together that we might be people who have come to that place in our life where we trust you. We put our confidence in you and not ourselves. That we really do rely on you and are willing to live out our faith in you. And if there be anyone here this morning that doesn't know you, I pray they just might do what you've invited us to do, to, to invite you to be our Lord and Savior, to be the forgiver of our sin and the leader of our life, that we might live in you and for you. And when we really mean that, then you'll do exactly what we pray. You'll come in our life and make us a new person on the inside. And if we already know you, help us, help us not be overwhelmed, but help us just take the next step of faith, either to Believe that you'll take us through the trial we're going through or believe that you'll give us the ability to do the next thing you want us to do. Help us to honor you with our lives by trusting you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand as we sing. And